I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. Hello. Today, we are going to continue our series on compassion fatigue and mindfulness and self-care. And we're going to do that by addressing some concerns that have sort of started to filter into the veterinary community. Specifically, the concern that self-care is kind of like a scam. Like it's this thing that veterinary corporations stand up and tell us that we need to practice. Like we, we would not feel like our jobs are shitty if we practiced enough self-care. So the kind of sentiment that I have heard from a number of circles, I'm going to say it's been most prevalent in like the past six months. And I've seen some selected articles about it. I've seen some message board posts about it. I've had people comment to me in person about it. Essentially, this idea of that the veterinary industry promoting self-care as a way to get out of or or escape compassion fatigue and burnout is like a scam. It doesn't work. And it's a way for the veterinary industry to sort of put the onus on individual workers and veterinarians in a way saying like, these people are telling me practice self-care. What I'm hearing is it's your fault that you feel bad because you're not taking care of yourself. One thing they should probably do is kind of like what we went over before, is to provide good definitions of self-care, because I don't know that everybody even, like, knows. Because I I know I used to think of self-care just being, all right, uh, go get a mani-pedi, take a bubble bath, that sort of thing. But there's more to it than that. And I think that's a good first step is them, like, giving you suggestions of what you can do. And, I mean, it's nice that they're acknowledging it, but they need to go a little further than that. Yeah. And by they need to go a little further than that, you mean the like veterinary industry backed speakers on compassion fatigue, the people in our veterinary industry that are advocating so strongly for self-care that they need to be cautious about qualifying those statements and providing real resources to the people that they're um, trying to, to give this information to. Yes, that and then that can trickle down because, I mean, I think a lot of like veterinary clinic owners and managers, you know, that's where they're getting their information from. Mm -hmm. So if you can start with, you know, providing the information that's needed and let that trickle down to, you know, different departments within the clinics, that's going to help. And it also like gives the perception of, you know, hey, I'm doing something about it and not just like it's on you. You know, we know it's a problem, but it's your problem. You got to fix it yourself. Well, I admit when I first heard this criticism of, I'm going to call it the self-care movement in veterinary medicine. Okay. When I first heard this criticism of that movement, I felt kind of conflicted about it. I think number one, because of my training and counseling and my you know, I have literally a compassion fatigue certification. So I've done a lot of training with this. In any time that you feel very passionately about a particular area, 
it's sometimes a little bit hard to hear criticisms about that area. So my first impression was like, what? No, you're completely misunderstanding what the whole point of it is. But then as I thought about it more, I came to sort of the same conclusion that it sounds like you came to, JJ. Like, if we as compassion fatigue professionals were doing our job of good, solid communication, that missed information wouldn't have been missed. So I Mm -hmm. do think that this is on us to sort of to fix. So I wanted to talk about this topic today. I think that we can really, really sort of dive into this, talk about all the nuances, talk about our thoughts about like what we think, you and I, about who's right and who's wrong. And and probably it's somewhere in the middle, like most things. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. agreed. The first thing that I want to say, though, like right off the bat, before people start turning the episode off, is <laughs> that if you are burned out or experiencing compassion fatigue, that is not anything that you should be blamed for, either by yourself or by others. Yep. Compassion fatigue, burnout, is not your fault. And it's not the result of being weak-willed or weak-minded or just not tough enough. Yep. And that's a hard, hard, hard thing to accept. I mean, especially, I mean, most people in support staff land you know, that's kind of like a, it's like a, a, a badge of, I don't know, you're, you feel like you're a warrior, you're just going to push through and it, it makes you the, the better employee. And I'm just like, no, no, there is a better way. You can still be a rock star employee and take care of yourself. Yeah. You can have both. I agree, JJ, you can have both. However, it takes a significant amount of work in altering your thought processes your thinking ears, and your values around working and particularly working in a healthcare field. Mm-hmm. It also, I think, is going to take pushing back strongly against the old paradigms in our profession, the old thought processes, you know, kind of the, the old-timey sentiments surrounding being a veterinarian when things were a lot different in the world than they are now. Yeah. So I I want us to kind of talk about like every aspect of this. And to do that effectively, I would like to talk about a case, introduce a case for you. And then we can use the subject of this case to sort of give an example and then go through and, and kind of see where we're at. Okay. As always, when we present any sort of case on the podcast, it is presented anonymously. And the name of this veterinary professional has been changed. And some details of the case have been changed that would not affect the outcome that that make it less recognizable. So Katie is a young veterinarian. She graduated from veterinary school in 2020 right into the middle of the pandemic. And she joined a small animal practice that was very busy. The practice itself is also small. She's just the second doctor. She's the only associate veterinarian. And when she joined the staff there, she knew already, 
like this clinic is is understaffed and very, very busy. It's a high volume clinic. So she graduated directly into the pandemic and curbside care. And the clinic already was understaffed. But of course, like everything, COVID protocols made it very difficult to keep staff, uh, to keep all the staff that they had in. People were quarantining, you know, all the rigmarole that everyone experienced during that time. So Katie spent that first year of practice working 10-hour days, five days a week, and uh, that was just her, like, official schedule, right? So uh, unfortunately, she would come in, like, an hour early to get finished up on charts from the previous day. Much of the time, she would work through lunch, and then she would stay late at night. So um, she was you know, leaving one to two full hours after the ends of her shifts and not just like every once in a while or while they had an emergency. This was really kind of all the time. And Mm -hmm. as she, you know, looked around at the practice, it's like that's what was expected. So it wasn't the position wasn't advertised that way. And those hours were not in her contract. But it was the status quo. It was what was expected of her. Katie found that she started experiencing symptoms of compassion fatigue. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. If you want to review those symptoms, uh, we have a really good first and second episode of this season uh, has a really good review um, if you want to go back and listen to those episodes. So Katie is experiencing these symptoms of compassion fatigue and she decides. Uh, you know, I'm going to implement this information that I learned at my self-care continuing education talk. I've looked at everything and I've really decided, you know, gosh, I I love running. Running marathons is something that's always been important to me. Running competitively is, is something that I want to get back into. And I have not been running in at least a year and just at all. And that's an important part of my life that I miss. And I really want to add that back. So. Katie decided that she really wanted to focus on that area of she's going to start off her self-care journey by adding running back into her routine. And so she got out all of her materials from continuing education and looked up the SMART goals method of goal setting that we reviewed on an earlier episode of the podcast from this season. And so she set the, she set a goal for herself and that goal was that uh, she was going to enjoy running for 30 minutes twice a week for the next month. And then after the end of the month, you know, reassess, right? Maybe that's too little, maybe it's too much. But that was her initial goal. Mm -hmm. Now, if Katie goes ahead and tries to just start running for 30 minutes twice a week, we got a little bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. JJ, can you guess what the problem is? Where's she going to fit that in? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Where? laughs> at, at what time is this going to happen? Right? Because she's getting to work a full hour earlier than her shift is supposed to start. She's leaving one to two hours after her shift is supposed to end. She works through lunch. She does that five days a week. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, when, what is this going to happen? You know, you could say, okay, then she's going to run Saturday and Sunday, but we're not taking into account other things that 
people have to do as human individuals. So cooking, cleaning, taking a shower. You know, if she has loved ones that she provides care for, like children or or potentially like elderly relatives or disabled relatives. If she has a spirituality practice or religious uh, faith that she follows that involves time uh, potentially set aside outside of work. Her grocery shopping, right? Just handling mm-hmm. basic needs like paying the water bill, right? Like, yeah. When is she going to do any of that? I mean, speaking from personal experience, if you're working that many hours a week and you're already experiencing compassion fatigue symptoms, there's a high chance that they ain't much going to happen on a weekend. Right. Because you're doing your best to recover. Right. You just kind of zombie it, spin, just like flop on the couch and then try to like get yourself up on Monday again, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I'm with you, JJ. I've been there. Like, I totally agree. So. Yo, Katie's got a problem and it's the, she ain't got time for this, mm-hmm. but it's important. It's important. It's healthy. She needs to get that cardiovascular exercise for her body, but more importantly, she needs it for her mind. So we got to, we got to borrow some time from someplace. So mm-hmm. how's like, what are we going to do? How's that going to look? Because if she just tacks running on to the end of a day, she can do that for a little while, maybe. But she's not going to be successful long term because that is not a sustainable schedule for anyone. That is an unsafe, unreasonable schedule that she's being the schedule asked to she's work. got going right now is yeah. Mm-hmm. Before you add running to it is not sustainable. That's absolutely right. So she just slaps running on top of that. What are we going to get? Probably increased risk of injury, increased mm-hmm. risk of getting sick of running and then hating it forever because you only remember having to try to figure out how to run after your shitty, long, excruciating shifts, you know, like, Mm -hmm. this isn't going to be good. Okay, so we have talked about previously on the podcast, the dimensions of wellness, and how they all interact with one another. And changes in one area of wellness affect changes in other areas. Okay, so this occupational dimension of wellness, her occupational wellness is not real good okay it's kind of in the toilet and that usually tanks some of the other things so like her her physical wellness she's not getting the exercise she needs her mental wellness she's not getting the mental break she needs right Mm -hmm. so similarly it requires changes in multiple areas to get changes in the area that we want right so you Mm -hmm. can't just wholesale change one area without affecting all the other ones. And sometimes that's an inverse relationship because we all have a limited amount of time that we're given, right? Mm -hmm. So before Katie sets this goal and just starts running, there's one important thing that she needs to do. She needs to schedule a meeting with her boss. That's exactly right, JJ. And at that meeting, she's going to have to enforce some healthy boundaries about her work. Mm-hmm. The reason it's so important to me for us to go over this is I think that it's this stage that's the critical piece that the people that criticize the self care movement in veterinary medicine are missing or haven't received. Yep, this is the work that you got to do. Yeah, self care is incredibly important. It's necessary and you have to do it, it's not negotiable. But in order to do it, you also have to establish boundaries and enforce them. 
And that requires a ton of self-work that no one can do for you. Mm -hmm. So as Katie approaches this meeting with her boss, she's going to have to sort of, you know, dig deep and explore how she feels and then come with some techniques and strategies to not let how the boss reacts affect her decision that she's made (laughs) to prioritize herself. (laughs) Because the other place that I see people kind of get tripped up is, well, when I'm establishing this boundary, how can I make sure that the other person, like my boss, uh, so say I'm going to say, if Katie's going to run after work, she needs to leave within 30 minutes of her shift ending. I think that's reasonable, right? Your contractor mm-hmm. for those hours, if they ain't paying you for the, for that time, <laughs> you don't need to be Bye. up in there, okay? <laughs> and when she goes to have this meeting to say, you know, I know that this is the way it's been the first year. I understand uh, that, uh, you know, we were all making some sacrifices for the pandemic. And I'm I'm willing to do that for a short amount of time, but I just need to set the expectation with you that coming in an hour early and staying one to two hours late every single day is not sustainable for me. And furthermore, it's not what we agreed to. And so mm-hmm. from now on, I'm going to be leaving at, say, her shift ends at six. I'm going to be leaving at 630. The issue with that that I hear a lot of people bring up is, well, if I'm Katie in this scenario, What is it that I'm supposed to say that makes my boss accept my boundary? And I'm like, well, how do you mean? And they're like, well, but how do I make them say that it's okay for me to have this boundary? And I'm like, again, I'm not sure what you're understanding. You're the person that's in charge of the boundaries that you have. And then they Mm -hmm. come to... How do I tell them about my boundaries in a way that they don't get mad at me for having the boundary? And then I say, that's impossible. You can't control how people react to things. And I think that that is another really key piece, the fear of making other people upset by enforcing a boundary. The people who get upset about enforcing these types of boundaries are typically the people that have historically benefited from you not having any boundaries. And so they probably will get upset. And it's that self-work that you have to do to be able to say to yourself, I understand that they're upset and I don't have to respond to it. And in fact, I'm completely fine and unaffected by the fact that they're upset. It hasn't changed my mind at all. So what do you think? You know, being somebody who's not confrontational, I can see where it would be very hard, but I don't know. At the end of the day, you have to make the decision of whether or not you're going to fight for yourself or not. And if you don't, it's kind of on you that you're sinking. So you got to you gotta get in there and, and tell them what you need to be able to function. You can make suggestions. Sometimes I know management tends to like that. Like if you want something, if you want to come in and, and have a, an issue with something, if you offer solutions, that usually goes over well. Um, you can offer the solution of, uh, could we maybe schedule some time during the day since I'm having to come in early and stay late to get paperwork? Can I schedule an hour during the day that I can, that I work on paperwork to try to catch up? Sure, that's an hour that I'm not seeing patients, but if obviously I'm not getting all my work done, so that might be a solution. But that needs to be your badge of honor is fighting for yourself. 
Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you leave a job, you're going to get replaced. You, you need to take care of yourself and not not your job. So I, I love the idea of coming with solutions, but I'm going to add a caveat and say it's not required. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. as an associate, Katie's job is to come to work, see patients to the best of her ability, make recommendations, write prescriptions, and complete her notes. Those are her responsibilities. Mm-hmm. She's not a member of management. So she actually has very little control over how the clinic is managed. And I'm going to push back against the idea that Katie has to come up with her own solutions. It's great if she can, if she's able to dictate that about her schedule. But I know a lot of associates that are not. Mm -hmm. So depending on how heavy handed the management at this clinic is, if it's if it's on the upper side of we micromanage everything. I mean, it's it's on management. Mm -hmm. It's on management. It's management's responsibility to put their employees, including their associate veterinarians, into a position where they can complete their work in a safe and timely fashion that they have enough staff for patient safety and for physical safety and that they have enough time to complete notes so that they can avoid legal liability. None of those things Mm -hmm. are solely in the hands of the associate. And so when managers say, if you come to me with a problem, you better be coming with solutions. I kind of get where they're coming from, but I'm going to say I don't agree with it. Right. I Mm -hmm. understand the rationale, but I just disagree with the premise because as management, it is literally your job to organize the schedule of the hospital to retain staff and to keep working conditions adequate to support the veterinarians that work for you. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I just, based on experience, sometimes it, uh, I don't know, it seems to make the, I don't want to say blow, but it makes the, you know, the pill a little easier to swallow if you're like, you know, have that in your pocket. And is that something that, you know, most managers or owners would go for? Mm, There again, usually the, the ones that are, the ish, the, the ones that are the problem, probably not. But that just tells you what you need to need to know about your future at that place. That is a hundred percent. I am on board with that a hundred percent. Yes, yeah. So I do want to go back to this idea that it has to be a confrontation. Mm-hmm. Your immediate response was, "I'm not good with confrontation." Mm-hmm. And so then my question to you and everyone else who's listening that I guarantee had that reaction, but I'm not good with confrontation. I don't know if I can set boundaries is why do you feel that it has to be confrontational, which you're you're using that word in like an aggress, like it has to be an aggressive thing or a huge fight or something like that? Why does why does that feel confrontational to say just to let you know, I'm going to. You know, I'm going to be leaving by 630 uh, from now on. Well, I mean, that's bringing my own personal stuff into it a little bit because I don't like to ask for help. I'm a lot better at about it than I used to be. But yeah. I I don't, you know, if I can get through something without asking for anything, then I consider that a win. You wear that I'm self-sufficient as a badge of honor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, only it usually bites me. So. <laughs> And I mean, you're right. It doesn't, it shouldn't be a confrontation, but 
usually it kind of turns into a little bit of one. You have something that you need and it's because you're asking for something. And if it gets kind of shot down at all, then it's like, okay, well, what, what am I left with now? Because you almost expect it to get shot down, if that makes sense. Well, I definitely see where you're coming from. And I'm so happy that you shared that because I think a lot of listeners are relating right now to the things that you just said. And I'm going to reframe those thoughts a little bit and see what you think. When you are creating these boundaries, it has nothing to do with asking. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to your boss and saying, hey, is it okay if I leave within 30 minutes of the end of my shift? Because that's not a boundary that's asking for permission. Mm -hmm. And you don't need permission from anyone to set boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're going to go to the boss and you're going to say, I just wanted to let you know that because of some outside priorities that I have, you absolutely do not have to list what they are or justify them in any way. I'm going to be leaving at 630 from now on. Have a good day. That's all you <laughs> got to say. OK. And you put that out there. Well, what if they react poorly? The benefit of that is that you gain information mm-hmm. about whether you want to stay at that clinic. Mm-hmm. now. We've been through periods in veterinary history where you had to hold on to a job no matter what. Like when I graduated in the middle of the Great Recession in 2008, it was hard to find a job and you just accepted shitty pay, shitty hours and shitty treatment if that was all you had. Right. Like it's just that's just the way life was. Mm -hmm. So I get that sometimes you have to put up with a lot more in certain situations than in others, and everybody's situation is different. However, in the current veterinary climate for both veterinarians and staff, there is not a shortage of other positions. So if we're talking about sitting here today in 2022 and going to your boss and saying, I just need to let you know that when my shift ends at six, I'm going to be leaving within 30 minutes of that. If they freak out, then you don't need to be working there. (laughs) If I can be blunt about it. That's just giving you feedback that there is a values mismatch between you and management. And I can tell you that that job, if you stay in it, it's never going to get better. It, you're never going to be able to work it out because the core values are so mismatched that there's going to be resentment in that relationship between boss and associate. And once that resentment develops, there is not like you cannot salvage that situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if Katie goes to her boss and says what she needs to say and they flip out and they tell her you're not allowed to do that, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I would still leave at 630 anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But I would also start looking for another job, like right away. Like right away. So how would you handle your coworkers who might start to resent you because they don't? I mean, I guess it goes back to the you can't control how other people feel about you. But yeah, I can see them try to make, you know, your job a living nightmare because they resent you because they don't feel like they can do that for themselves. But then that just kind of goes back to, well, if they do that, then maybe it's time to find another job, too. If anything, you should be inspiring them to do the same thing. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, JJ, because I have been that person before that felt resentment 
surrounding other people leaving on time and me never, quote, never being able to. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of years of therapy for me to fully understand that it was up to me the whole time. Mm -hmm. I was wanting someone to come in with a cape on and say, Grider, I give you permission to leave on time most days. And I was going to be like, yes, thank you so much. Now I have gotten to the point where I'm allowed to leave on time. Fuck that. No, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's bullshit. Yeah, be your own superhero. That's right. I, I spent so many years of my veterinary career waiting for someone to give me permission to uh, to have the relationship with work that was best for me. And the truth is that's never going to happen because the more you work, the more money you're making for other people. At no point are they going to be like, hey, I really would like for you to slow down. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they're like, well, she's probably she can handle it. You know, from their point of view, they're like she's choosing to come in early and stay late. So that means she's just a hustler. Go get her. She wants to do it. If you don't let other people know what your values are surrounding work hours and things like that, how are they going to know? Mm -hmm. And once you let them know, if they act like a turd face about it, then you know this is not a great long-term solution for me. Yeah. Because what, what is Katie supposed to do? Just keep working? How many hours is that, JJ? She's got a 10-hour shift plus an hour in the morning. So she's working 13 hours a lot of days, five days a week, okay? So she's working 65 hours a week. Now that's what she's reporting. How many hours is she spending at home researching cases and calling for case consults and thinking about her cases from the week before and shit like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, and how much is she actually getting paid for? <laughs> probably not that much <laughs> from my experience. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Her contract as an associate would be based on typically like a 36 to 40 hour work week but that's mm -hmm. bullshit if it's really so she needs to take whatever her salary is and divide it divide it divide it divide it or whatever and get down and then make sure that she divides it by 65 instead of 35 or 40 to get her true hourly rate yep. and when she looks at it i bet she's gonna be like oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> that's not that's not good mm -hmm. the reason i wanted to use that example is I think it presents a very clear scenario. It becomes very clear very quickly that Katie has to make some internal changes and develop some assertiveness to be able to protect what she holds important in life, her personal time, and also to not be like overly worried or anxious or obsessive about how the boss is going to react to this information. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So if we were going to bring it back around, the whole emerging debate about is self-care a scam? Is it just a way to, is it just a way for corporate veterinary medicine to come in and say, the reason that you're struggling is that you're not working hard enough, right? To take care of yourself. I can't guarantee that no one has that motive or message. I can say that I, as a, as a compassion fitting professional, don't feel that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that the the missing plug-in part of that is that you have to set healthy boundaries for yourself because no one is coming to save you. So 
Although I think it would be wonderful in this ideal, perfect world for management to say, oh, God, we're burning people out. Let us figure out all the changes that need to be made to keep everybody healthy. That's probably not going to happen unless Mm -hmm. you come first with the boundary. I'm going to leave by 630. Then management is like, well, shit, she's going to leave by 630. We're going to have to figure out how to make that happen. Right. Mm hmm. For other people, it might not be leaving at 630. It might be like, look, I have to have time to reset in the middle of the day. I have to have my lunch hour, right? Mm -hmm. So then management's job would then be to say, okay, I hear you. You really need this. This is very important. How can we rearrange your schedule to facilitate that? Maybe we need to reschedule more appointments. Maybe we need, maybe we're too busy. We need to bring on another associate. Yeah, a lot of times I feel like management may not even be aware that somebody is coming in early, staying late and mm-hmm. using their lunch break to work. I they might agree. not even have a clue that that's happening. Yeah. I, JJ, you were 100% correct. I think on the worker end and on the veterinary end, it's easy to assume that the people in charge know all of the sacrifices that you're making. But you're absolutely right. Many of them don't because they got their own shit, their own lives, their own concerns, their own outside shit to worry about. And they're not sitting here like with a pencil writing down like now they were here at 615 this morning Mm -hmm. and they let, you know, they're just like, look, you're a human person. You're going to have to communicate with me if you get to a point where you can't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Yeah, because they're they're assuming that if there is a problem, you are going to come and tell them. Yes. Yes, JJ, that's right. (laughs) And so then it doesn't it's not a confrontation. It's not a confrontation unless they make it a confrontation. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I will say that when you're first getting started establishing healthy boundaries, it's definitely a skill you have to practice because sometimes you can go from always saying okay to everything and never rocking the boat. And when you try to turn on your assertiveness, you maybe swing the knob too far, <laughs> too much yeah. volume at first. I, I, I did. I, I did that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I did. Instead of coming in calmly, you maybe kicked the door in with a with your shotgun and <laughs> fired mm. it through the ceiling um, instead of just being like, here yeah. is my calm <laughs> statement. Would you feel comfortable sharing about that? or? Um, yeah, sure. I set some boundaries. When it came to a certain family member, yeah, I made it a point to just, you know, my, I, I kind of threw the boundary out. It was just like, do not talk to me about other family members, particularly one in general. Don't I, I, I'm not answering questions about them. If you have any questions, you need to ask them. You know, of course, I got some, you know, it wasn't necessarily pushback, but it was like different people were asking me about that particular family member. And I was getting kind of like, no, don't, I don't want them. I don't. It, I kind of got to the point where, like, do not mention their name to me at all, and that was too much. Does that make? Does that qualify? I think so. I think so. Like you were so, you you uh, you. I was set, mad. You set the boundary, <laughs> and they they weren't used to that, so they pushed back, and then it sounds like things escalated. You got angry, and it got you got like turned the volume up a little bit more, where it was like I don't want. Yeah. Well, I went from Keep being the name like, out your mouth. <laughs> kind of a thing. Huh? Well, yeah, I mean, I went from being like, you know, the person that everybody else went to to ask about this individual. And then I just like 
completely and totally cut that cord. I didn't ease into it. I just just like, don't talk to me about this person. And everybody wasn't used to that. And they also weren't used to me, you know, laying down the law like that. Okay. And whenever I got asked about that person, I was like, I told you I don't want to talk about that person. And, you know, it's better now, but it, it took about six months to kind of adjust. Yeah. <laughs> to where A, I wasn't angry and B, people were like realizing that, you know, I, I was serious. Yeah. But I could have been, I could have definitely handled it a little bit better. Well, I, I mean, from what you just told me, I think you actually handled it fine. <laughs> it's a rare situation for you to, to say something, to set a boundary. And to never have to revisit it again. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Rare. I know I've had that. Right. I've done that to people <laughs> unintentionally a little bit. Just, just like, oh, I, wait, I forgot. Just, you know, remind me. It's It, it was my response because, you know, mm -hmm. I wasn't I wasn't being super nice about it. And, well, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a time to be polite and a, and a time to be aggressive sometimes if, yes. if people are coming back and things but yeah if it's the fifth time you can be more aggressive but I was aggressive on the first time. on the first time yeah. yeah 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 and so I think getting that boundary equilibrium takes practice that's why I do actually recommend starting with baby steps of st setting boundaries with your trusted friends and relatives maybe not like your you know like your estranged, long lost cousin or something like that. But like, I mean, I, I that wasn't that that was the general you. Not that's not genuine yeah. situation. Um, no, but like maybe not like an estranged family member or something where there's a strain on the relationship. But I recommend starting with like someone who you're like, look, I am on a vibe with this person. We understand each other. Like there is significant mutual trust. Because then you can feel safe mm -hmm. doing it, right? Because you got to you got to start practicing in a safe space. So yeah. one of the first major boundaries that I set that I'll share, um, I didn't handle it very well, but luckily it was with a family member who I have that trust with, and so I knew like they're not going to hate me forever because that's irrational to think that, right? <laughs> like they would be. <laughs> irrational and uncool if they hated me forever for setting this boundary and it was it was surrounding like nutrition right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they were wanting to come to me and have these detailed talks about nutrition advice while I was in the middle of recovery for an eating disorder and uh, I had really maxed out my ability to ignore 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 and we had been working on healthy boundaries in therapy, and I thought, okay, here we go. And what I meant to say was, my nutritional choices are not a topic that I'm willing to discuss. See, that sounds great. <laughs> it's assertive. Mm -hmm. It's not mean. It's polite. The tone is controlled on that. You know, instead of coming with like a great practiced tone, uh, for example, you know, my nutrition. And body size is not up for debate. That subject is closed and I don't engage with it with anyone but my therapist and nutritionist. Boom. That's a great boundary, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, <laughs> I sort of got that point across between hysterical sobs, right? 
and mm-hmm. like crying and like very and so they were more like oh shit okay like i really really offended her or whatever you know but look the end result worked out right yes yeah. i like, mean does that tell you though that maybe you waited too late to set the boundary oh yeah girl like 15 <laughs> years too late 20 40 years too late i <laughs> i waited a really long time exactly but once i got over the hump and of course i felt a lot of what i'm going to call post boundary setting guilt and shame mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like and anxiety they're never mm-hmm. going to talk to me again they're so mad at me i have really crossed the line and everything like that but once i was able to kind of like calm the fuck down i was like wait a minute the thing that i ask for is actually a really reasonable thing mm-hmm. so so i do recommend practicing <laughs> with that and also as jj said Not waiting until like it's in an emergency level thing, like (laughs) early, establish the boundary early when something originally first starts bothering you. Because if you wait until you have all of these pent up emotions and you've been like ignoring it and suppressing it and stuff, you might end up sobbing in the passenger seat of a car for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And no one wants that. No, (laughs) no, not a good look, not a good feeling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> another um really good example i think is actually a boundary that i set with jj mm, yes at the time i was doing a lot of relief work at places where i would have a long drive home and so m- many times i would leave work you know and have like a 30 45 minute trip home and i would call jj a lot of the time just to chat you know because we weren't working together anymore so we didn't really get to see each other in person much and during that time, JJ was sometimes mention some specific situations that really stressed me out, but there was nothing I could do about them. And so eventually I just got to the point where I had to say, JJ, I understand that you need to vent about these subjects. And I completely get why you would need to do that because they stress me the fuck out too. However, I am unable to receive that in a place of like venting i feel like you're asking me to fix it and i don't have that ability and so until i can kind of get over that mental hump and girl it might take a minute i need to not be the person that you vent to about this topic Mm -hmm. and jj what did you say i was cool with it right i I had no problem with it at all i i know that i uh kind of bumped up against it a couple of times mainly because i was like I don't know exactly where the the fences of the boundaries are. Like, mm-hmm. am I not to bring up all, any topic pertaining to anything about this scenario? Or, yeah, so I would kind of like, all right, I have this. Is this okay? So I tried to like ask questions. And sometimes, you know, I just reverted back to, because that was kind of one of the things that we always did every, you know, what like every friday or so <laughs> yeah. we would have vent sessions that's and right Margaret like all of a sudden I. i'm like i can't vent no more to my favorite venting person and i don't know exactly what i can and can't say so i just find a different favorite person to vent about this mm-hmm. particular topic and save other topics for greater that's right and so i set a boundary with jj a trusted friend because i knew there's a low chance that JJ is going to scream at me and end our friendship because I, t- I ask her not to complain to me about work problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
it wasn't risk free. No, it's always a risk when you set a boundary. But like, <laughs> if JJ had had some major huge blow up reaction to that, then we need to reassess our relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't make it my fault or my problem. Mm-hmm. We've kind of been all around the world, and we might have gotten just a smidge off topic. But so let's steer back on course for a minute. So mm-hmm. I guess major takeaways for me are that. I never want anyone to feel that recommendations for self-care given by me or our podcast or, you know, really any anyone that's got the CCFP credential, okay? I, I really hate to hear that sometimes that is received in a way that it, that wasn't intended. And mm-hmm. um, what I would like to strive to do is to do better to change the way that that information is being presented so that I can adjust how it's being received. And that I think this critique of the self-care movement for me will make me change the way that I present topics when I do public speaking engagements and things like that. And so I think a core piece for me is going to be at, to add in a whole section on boundary training first Because I really, truly believe that self-care can't happen until we develop boundaries. And boundaries can't happen until we stop deriving our self-worth from pleasing other people. (laughs) That's a hard one. It is. Absolutely. And also, I mean, you got to do some work, too. You got to, you know, figure out what works as self-care for you and do the work on getting comfortable with making boundaries. It's not all on the companies and the industry. That's true. It it's not all on them, but but also they're not absolved from responsibility. That true. that's also totally, not yeah. my intention is to say, no, y'all are overreacting. That's not it at all. I think I think they're right on the money and and what that tells me is we've not been presenting this information in a in a way that was adequate. And so we need mm-hmm. to add some things. So it's just, it's tough because it's like on the one hand, no one's coming to save you. <laughs> yeah. You got to save yourself. <laughs> Put the cape on. But on the other hand, we have all of this pressure from tradition and history and all of these old timers being like, back in the day, I whatever the fuck, you know, whatever. And so you have this pressure of like, God, I, you know, I have to work all these hours and, I am so entitled for, you know, asking to work less than a crazy ass number of hours a week and stuff like that. But hanging on to those old paradigms and those old values surrounding veterinary work ethic is harmful. Mm -hmm. Yep, as we're learning, unfortunately. Well, if you'd like more information about boundary setting, I would strongly recommend the book that we've talked about on the podcast a lot before. The book is called Not Nice, and uh, it's a great read. I think it will really help the vast majority of people uh, learn how to start taking baby steps towards being assertive. And being assertive is just key in creating healthy boundaries. Yep. And as always, if you have any questions or ideas or suggestions or anything on that plane, you can always send us an email. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you have stories, questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, 
please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. We are actively looking for cases right now. And I got a message on my phone from a veterinary technician who wants to submit cases. And she said, what does that mean? If you want to submit cases, email them. And I was like, whoops, we have never really said what it is that you're (laughs) supposed to email. So generally, if you want to send a case, what you would do is type the case out, just like how JJ reads it on the podcast. So the patient presented with blah, blah, blah symptoms. Here is the signalment of the patient. Here are the tests that were run here, or maybe a list of tests that we would consider, but we didn't have access to them, you know, where maybe there were financial limitations or kind of any details that you have going to the diagnosis. And then we will take that and create an episode out of it. You do not have to do a literature review to submit a case. I think that is maybe a misconception that people have had and Mm -hmm. why we haven't gotten as many cases. (laughs) Maybe we should create like a template or something. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, we should definitely do that. We are going to create a template and link it on the website so with a submission form so that if you want to submit a case, you can just type it on on the website and click send. And I think this will fix the problem. (laughs) Now, if you want to submit a full literature review to us, you go right ahead. That sounds great. (laughs) Actually, look, if you type up a full literature review and want to present a case, you... Uh, get a get us on the horn and we'll put you on the podcast. Okay? Absolutely. Okay, but yeah, when you're submitting cases, you don't have to do a full literature review. We are just talking about signalment, history, uh, tests, and outcome, basic stuff, and we will fill in the rest. <laughs> and don't forget to change certain details, like don't tell us the real patient name or that kind of stuff, okay? Because we do want to mm-hmm. keep it anonymous. And you can find us on social media. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's at Intervets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Yes. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>